You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. Give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We go fly. Guidance. Guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Telmuse. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good. Mm. Oh, sorry. Y'all caught me with my mouth full. Good evening to you one and all. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. And what my business just was is eating a delicious taste. Miss Loretta brought in uh, tonight's recipe. As you know, she often makes it uh, for us here and brings it in and sets it up. Uh, in the in the bullpen, in the green room, as it were, and uh, in the lounge. <clears throat> and we have it sometimes before the show. And it was so good today that I went and got a second bowl. And y'all caught me eating as the show started. Welcome, 
once again to the Now You Know Show, and what a week it has been out there in the wild and woolly world. Well, I can tell you that the heat continues to climb uh, here in uh, (laughs) Denton, Texas, and in all parts of uh, at least this region of Texas. We haven't quite got up into the big hundreds yet, but (laughs) we're working on it. Although I will say this has been an unseasonably cool summer for us so far. Uh, We're only now uh, here mid-June starting to get up into those those really sweltering days, but I'm sure by August it'll it'll be hot enough to cook an egg out on the sidewalk. And if you would like some sidewalk eggs, why not come on by and bring a dozen and we'll just crack them all up, cook them. We can all have sidewalk eggs. Meanwhile, uh, the game is afoot in uh, Washington, the D and the C. And uh, apparently this time of year, the the most favored phrase in the District of Columbia is, I don't recall. I I don't recall. I don't recall. I don't recall. I'm now old enough for this to be the third or fourth big round of time that I've gotten to sit and watch those uh, in charge of various uh, important parts of our government. Just don't know. No clue. No, no. So, you know. In my youth, I used to say, uh, everybody says, you know, I can do better, right? I could do a better job. I could do a better job, but I'm actually starting to believe it, gang. I'm starting to believe I could do a better job, you know? So uh, how about we do this? How about we just, you know, I'm just going to float this idea for you. You know, I'm I'm way over 35 now, and, uh, you know, I was born in the country, uh, and I think I meet most of the qualifiers so how about we just float this idea? 2020, Professor Charles Porterfield for president. Let's just, you know, send your ideas in. Who knows, right? I mean, what the hell? What's the worst that could happen? Anyway, <laughs> that's my news. And speaking of the news, our own Patchy Fog is waiting in the LMC newsroom to bring us this week's news. Take it away, newsroom. Good evening. This is the news, read by Philip Fong. Today is Thursday, June 15th, the 166th day of 2017. There are six days until summer begins and 199 days left in the year. The 15th and 16th are auspicious days to can fruits and vegetables, mow to slow growth, castrate farm animals, Ween, go hunting, potty train, and brew beer. These will also be the best days to set strawberry plants, as well as excellent days for any vine crops such as beans, peas, and cucumbers. They will also be good days for transplanting and a favorable time for planting late root crops. Today's highlight in history comes to us from June 15th, 1775, when the Second Continental Congress voted unanimously to appoint George Washington head of the Continental Army. 
Also on this date, in 1215, England's King John put his seal to the Magna Carta, the Great Charter, at Runnymede. <coughs> in 1520, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull in which he threatened to excommunicate Martin Luther if he did not recant his religious beliefs, a threat that was carried out the following January. In 1836, Arkansas became the 25th state. In 1904, more than 1,000 people died when fire erupted aboard the steamboat General Slocum in New York's East River. In 1934, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed an act making the National Guard part of the U.S. Army in the event of war or national emergency. In 1944, American forces began their successful invasion of Saipan during World War II, and B-29 superfortresses carried out their first raids on Japan. In 1955, the United States and Britain signed a cooperative agreement concerning atomic information for, quote, mutual defense purposes, end quote. In 1967, the film The Dirty Dozen was released by MGM. In 1977, Spain held its first free elections in over four decades. The Union of the Democratic Center won the highest number of seats in the Congress of Deputies. And finally, in 1992, during a visit to an elementary school in Trenton, New Jersey, Vice President of the time, Dan Quayle, erroneously instructed sixth grader William Figueroa to write potato as P-O-T-A-T-O-E on a blackboard during a spelling quiz. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to rhythm and blues singer Ruby Nash Garnett of Ruby and the Romantics, who is 83. Rock singer, actor Johnny Halliday is 74. Funk musician Leo Notticelli of The Meters is also 71. Actor Simon Calloway is 68. Singer Russell Hitchcock of Air Supply is also 68. Rock singer Steve Walsh is 66. Comedian actor Jim Belushi, 63. Actress Helen Hunt, 54. And actor rapper Ice Cube is 48. Our thought for today comes from Antonel France, French author born. 1844, died 1924, who said, To know is nothing at all. To imagine is everything. This has been the news from the LMC Radio News Desk, and we now turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the Lucky Numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky number. Hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with 13 dishes, it will make me. Hey, that's mommy. Yeah? Yeah, man. Well, I'll break it. 
put my trust in goof of dust. Cause you know some may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that you be in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, and you need not just trust in goof or dust as advised by the Nicholas Brothers because we have the lucky numbers and card for you here each and every week. And just like every week, this week's lucky numbers come to us from ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on by there and take a look? And I have to tell you that this set of numbers is an unusual, very, very unusual and potent group of numbers, and they are 15, 20, 25, 36, 42, and 52. Once again, those numbers are 15, 20, 25, 36, 42, and 52. A strange grouping of numbers, but ones that are speaking loudly right now. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are equally strange. They are 348. That's 348. 518. That's 518. And 767. That's 767. I have to tell you that right now, 518 is very hot, and then that will be bleeding into 348, but I believe that 767 is going to rule the week. The card of the week is the Ten of Clubs, a company, accomplishment in business work and ownership. This is a very good week to cement business deals and secure business projects. This week, push forward on new plans and ideas for your current business and work. But be careful to not engage in greed or a lack of charity during this time as it will come back to haunt you. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit, (laughs) remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, from the First and Second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, our own Miss Loretta with with Miss Loretta.
I, I had no idea what this dish was. I had never heard of it. I had never seen it made. I had never tasted it, never even seen a picture of it. But my husband said, would you make this? And I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's this, and it's got everything in it. It's got all these things in it. And I was just like, okay, that sounds kind of like weird chili to me. And he's like, no, it's got eggs in it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. So I made it. I studied for several days. I looked at every recipe I could. And I talked to him about it. And I made it. And he gave me some very positive. He said it was delicious and gave me some positive critique on it. And so then I made it again. And he said it was spot on, so we brought it in. So tonight, I am going to give you a brand new recipe. At least it's brand new for me. And so tonight, I'm going to tell you how to make slow cooker cholent. And so this is cholent for your crock pot. And for this, it will be best if you use a six to eight quart slow cooker. You need a big one for this. It makes a total of about eight to ten servings, and it takes a total time of, I kid you not, 16 hours. But those 16 hours are 16 hours in the slow cooker. So basically it takes less than 30 to 40 minutes for you to set it up, and then you get to wander away from it and just come back the next day and have your delicious lunch or brunch or even in your evening meal. Now, this has got a lot of ingredients, so bear with me as I go through them all, and they're going to be posted in the uh, chat room as we do it. And for this meal, you will need two and a half pounds of large red potatoes, peeled and halved. For a smaller slow cooker, just use uh, two pounds. Two onions, chopped. Two and a half pounds of beef stew meat or brisket cut into chunks. And again, if you have a smaller cooker, use only two pounds. And two marrow bones. So that's just part of it, okay? Get those down. Write it all down and remember because here we go with the rest of it. Then you're also going to need for this, you will need... One cup of dried beans, and these can be lima beans, pinto beans, chickpeas, or red beans, but please do not use kidney beans, <clears throat> and I will tell you why. Kidney beans do not cook properly in a slow cooker, and I, of course, I already knew that, but now I'm passing it on to you. Kidney beans just don't do very well in a slow cooker. You can also use a mixture of all of those. If you would prefer to have a lot of different kind of texture and color, that's fine. One half a cup of pearl barley, three whole garlic cloves, six eggs, one half a teaspoon black pepper, one quart of low-sodium chicken broth. And I don't normally tell you to use low-sodium products, but you're going to want to use low-sodium chicken broth for this one. Otherwise, it's going to be way too salty, which was my first mistake. And then finally, you will also need one tablespoon of kosher salt, one and a half teaspoon of paprika, one and a half teaspoon of turmeric, one teaspoon of cumin, 
and one-fourth a teaspoon of cayenne, and then you'll need water, but the water will vary. It's going to be, you're going to eyeball it. Now, I should tell you that the beans in this recipe will soften without any pre-soaking, and this is due to the long, slow cooking process. However, they will be easier to digest with a simple, quick soak prior to cooking, and to do this, all you do is you place your beans into the bottom of a large pot and cover them with water, and the beans will expand to about double their size, so make sure you cover by several inches of water to allow for that expansion. Then after that, you bring the beans. Oh, I can say this. You bring the beans to a boil for five minutes and then immediately remove from heat. Let them soak in the cooking water for about an hour and then drain and rinse before proceeding with the rest of the recipe. You don't have to do this, but I like to. So, and once again, don't use kidney beans. Now, in a large slow cooker, and the larger the better, place the potatoes in a single layer on the bottom of your cooking vessel. Okay, just, just line them up, just layer the bottom of your slow cooker. Then you will sprinkle the onions over the potatoes and then place the beef in a single layer on top of the onions and potatoes and place the two marrow bones in the meat. Now, some of you may be saying, well, how do I get marrow bones? I've never seen it. I don't know anything about that. It's as easy as can be. It, even in just a standard grocery store, you go into the back and speak to the butcher and tell the butcher, tell him or her that you need two marrow bones. And again, remember, they're going to fit into a slow cooker. So don't, you know, get something crazy. Okay? Then, once you've done that, you will rinse your beans. This is if you have not pre-soaked checking for any stones or impurities, although I notice that nowadays beans don't seem to come with as many stones as they used to when I was younger. And if using your barley, you do the same with the grains. Sprinkle the beans raw or pre-soaked and optional grains over the top of the meat and place the three whole garlic cloves into the meat evenly spaced apart. And then sprinkle the whole mixture with your black pepper. Okay? After that, you're going to rinse the eggs well and tuck them into the meat. Now, right about now, you're going to say, what do you mean tuck them in, Miss Loretta? And I'll tell you exactly what I know. I know. When, when Fred told me how to do this, I looked at him like he was out of his mind. But I swear to you, it's true. You rinse your eggs tuck them into the meat still in the shells and yes these are raw eggs they will cook as your cholent cooks now then in a four cup container whisk together the low sodium chicken broth along with your kosher salt paprika turmeric cumin and cayenne pour this liquid over your cholent and add additional water until all of the beans and pieces of meat are covered. And I found that 
I, it's a good idea to add a little bit more liquid when you have the grains in it, like the pearl barley, because they will soak up more water as it cooks. <clears throat> now then you just cover your slow cooker, put the lid on, and cook on low for 16 hours. That's absolutely right, 16 hours. Check occasionally as it's cooking, add additional water, and stir a bit if it's starting to look too dry. Now, most crock pots and slow cookers will auto-switch to warm when the cooking is complete. But if you don't have one that auto-switches, just set it to warm after your 16 hours are up so you can keep it ready to serve. Because if you start in the evening, it's probably going to be ready in late lunch or early supper time. And so, you know. You don't want to. You don't want to be forced to. You know, let's eat right now. You got to eat right now. And before you serve your cholent, you will dish out and peel the eggs, and then add them to each dish. So, in other words, everybody gets an egg, or they get half an egg. So there you go. That's cholent. I had never made it before. I couldn't even. I, I'm still not sure I'm saying it right. But I did my best, and he said it was great the second time, and, quote, not so bad, doll. <laughs> not so bad, doll, the first time. So I hope that you give it a try and see if you enjoy it. Apparently, this is a traditional dish for Shabbos, and I know I'm apparently going to be making it a lot more, and hopefully you'll be making it with me. And until next week. Enjoy, and bye-bye. Well, it was good. I, I'll tell you that. She brought it in, and I was shocked that she had it. I was like, really? Oh, okay. And I'm looking at Count Goulash like, should I try this? And he's like, give me the thumbs up. And it was very, very, very good. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week, who the hell do you think you are? Or... Bullies in the community. You gotta watch out for these guys. Seriously. They're all like tigers. <laughs>
Do I? Am I talking about anybody that speaks strongly? No, I'm not talking about anybody that speaks strongly. I speak pretty strongly myself. Am I talking about anybody that feels passionately about something? No, I'm not talking about people that feel passionately about things. I feel passionately about quite a number of things, my own little self. I'm talking about bullies, out-and-out bullies, people who put other people in corners, people who threaten, who cajole, who name-call, who climb up on you, who are doing something for a purpose. And their purpose is this, to empower themselves, their beliefs, or their particular perspective, making others or attempting to victimize others, to make others victims or to victimize others or to force others into agreement. I'm not talking about intellectual debate here, boys and girls. I'm not talking about someone says something so ridiculous that some of us come in and go, well, that's ridiculous, and here are the facts. That's not bullying. That's fact. That's just, that's just the, the statement of fact. Here's the facts, and we can prove it. I'm not even talking about somebody saying something so ridiculous and maybe even a little wicked that some of us just have to make fun. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just so out there. It's so crazed. It's so nutty. You know, like uh, Irish hoodoo or what is it, Candela? What is it today? Let's ask Brother Candela what it is today. Isn't it Celtic hoodoo today? <laughs> I believe it's Celtic hoodoo today. That's <laughs> My brother Candelo had to deal with. <laughs> and it's just so ridiculous that kind of like a shock to the brain, you sort of end up making a joke about it. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about intentional bullying. I'm more powerful than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm more right than you. And you better listen to me or I'm going to get you. Now, a lot of people say, well, how can anybody get anybody on social media? But we're not just talking about social media here. People will do all sorts of things. They will besmirch your good name. They will put you down. They will try to cut off your pockets from you and ruin you economically. They will do all sorts of shit. And they love to make up stories about you. They are bullies. Now, what are they bullies about? Well, more than you can shake a stick at. They're bullies about everything, all right? Anything you want to say under the sun, they'll be a bully about. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about sweeteners. We're going to talk about sugar, molasses, brown sugar, all that, cane syrup, all right? I got news for you. There are people that are bullies about it. Now, you might think that's crazy. For someone to be a bully about honey or a bully about sugar or a bully about, you know, blackstrap molasses or a bully about cane syrup, right? But there are. There are people that are bullies about it. There are people that are bullies about glass jars. There are people that are bullies about any day of the week you want to name. I'm not being smart here. I'm serious. There are people that are bullies about Monday, bullies about Wednesday. And they're bullies about that day. Oh, how could you have done work on? You don't know shit. There are people that are bullies about the crossroads, bullies about the graveyard, bullies about baby dolls, bullies about candles, bullies about oils, bullies about roots, bullies about flowers, bullies about leaf and stem. 
bullies about water, bullies about the forces of nature, bullies about race, bullies about region, bullies about states, you name it. They're bullies about it. All right? Bullies about every goddamn subject of everything. And it comes in all sorts of flavors. We're not just talking about pride here. Pride is to say, I come from North Carolina, and we got some damn fine hoodoo. Carolina and South Carolina, we do some things that nobody else does, that we only do there. And if you see somebody else doing it, they probably got it from the Carolinas. And I'm proud of the Carolinas. And I like living there, and I like the weather, and the sea is beautiful, and I like the trees, and I like all that. Go North Carolina. Go South Carolina. Yay, yay, yay. Sis boom ba. Ra, ra, ra. Nope. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you ain't from the Carolinas, you don't know shit. There wasn't no goddamn hoodoo in Virginia. There wasn't no goddamn hoodoo in Arkansas. There wasn't no goddamn hoodoo in Texas. And there sure as hell ain't no hoodoo in Baltimore, New York City, Washington, D.C., or fucking Oakland. All y'all is fake. And you're fake because of where you're from. And I'm the only real one. And you need to shut the fuck up. Ah, there it comes. You need to shut, fill in the blank, fuck, whatever, up. These people are bullies. Here's the other problem before on the show. It is my opinion that effective workers have to some some part of them have a healthy ego. Now, let me go over that term again. Healthy ego. Meaning, you don't meet many, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to be a really super, super shy worker, you know, or to be a very self-deprecating worker where you put yourself down all the time or you put your work down all the time. And we've talked about how this can become dangerous. We talked about this in the past. You can go back and listen to the back shows and find where I talked about it, about how ego can be a destroyer. You know, you can, you can forget who you are. You can forget that there's a difference between healthy ego and unhealthy ego. <clears throat> now, the thing about that is, because of that, sometimes in our particular community, that of root work, hoodoo, conjure, we see someone who is, oh, let's say uh, outgoing, has a somewhat extroverted personality, speaks well, speaks strongly. Again, not in a bullying way necessarily, but is firm, is resolute, is knowledgeable, is, is you know, on the spot, okay? We see them as being successful or someone we want to listen to or someone we want to hold up or someone we regard well or we regard highly. And the problem with that is this. You often see bullying mistaken for that. You often see a bully nature, bull bully, mistaken for strength. Now, you know that from the non-magical community. You know that from your life. You know that from the streets. You know that from dealing with people in every industry and every walk of life. Often, bullying is mistaken for strength. And it's not strength. It's just 
It's just bullying. And so a lot of these bullies, you see, a lot of these bullies get into positions of power. How do they do it? Well, they shout anybody down. They've got people that support them. People say at the center of every destructive cult, you will find someone who is charismatic. There's a Jim Jones kind of. There's a Sun Young Moon. There's a charismatic individual. I say to you that you'll also find that those people are also bullies and scary bullies because they're spiritual bullies. They bully you about what you think. They bully you about what you feel. They bully you about what you eat. They bully you, and they get the group to help them bully you about those things. That's how the cult keeps cohesion. And the problem with that is that we have some of that in our community. We have some people who sit on fairly high perches, but they sit on high perches because they're constantly – Oh, what's Orwell's line? It's a boot in the face. Okay, They're constantly kicking their boot in the face of somebody else to keep other people down, to keep other people from not speaking to them. All right? This, at the end of the day, isn't really about ego. It's not about a bunch of people with fragile egos. This isn't really, at the end of the day, about people who don't feel good about themselves, and so they need to have they need to bully others. That's not really what this is about. This really isn't even about people that are maladaptive. You know, they've got something wrong with their brains, or they've been brought up in abusive situations. That happens, but it's not really the end story here. This, and I'm going to say something controversial, possibly. This is akin although in a lesser way, to rape. Rape isn't about sex. Rape is about power. And bullying is about power. Bullying is about the exercise of power over others. It's about violating others and forcing others and controlling others. And then for some bullies, using that to establish themselves and their arguments, and their positions. It's very unfair of me to call them tigers, because by comparison, tigers are, you know, sweet animals. You know, they just do their little life, and they live their little, you know, way they're structured to be in nature. These people want to silence you, or they want to control you. You see, Actually, let's, let's forget about silencing. They want to control you. One of those forms of control is to silence you. Another form of control is to make you so fearful that you agree with them, which is, to a certain way of thinking, another form of silence, because you're not saying. People say all the time, well, how do these people ever, how can they, you know, I mean, look, oh, my God, it's so obvious. It's that they're these crazy thoughts. Well, you get to a point where you become unwilling to stand up against the group, the crowd, you see. And that crowd, that group always has within it a bully, a leader, or a small group of them, three or four of them, which you don't see as much because bullies like rattlesnakes will bite each other if they're in too close proximity. Now, I double lock the door tonight 
okay? So that the kid couldn't get in here. But if he were in here, because I wanted to be left alone to eat my children. But if he was in here, he'd be saying, what does this have to do about hoodoo? Well, what this has to do with hoodoo is we have this going on in our community. Now, yes, it goes on in other communities. It certainly goes on in the pagan and neo-pagan community. It certainly goes on in the ATR community. It certainly goes on all sorts of places, but there's nothing I can even attempt to do about that. Okay, I'm not even in those communities. I'm in this community, and I'm telling you, we have a problem with bullies. And they have begun or have already succeeded, I should say, in setting a particular kind of tone. Again, that mistaking bullying for strength, where we now have people that are not necessarily bullies acting in a bullying manner because they think this is the commerce, this is the metric, this is the, the coin of exchange. Speak to each other, we obviously speak that way. And they think that because they've encountered so many of these goddamn people. They think it's normal. This must be the way this community handles its business. And therefore, being a part of that community, I'll handle my business the same way. And it's a shocking, shocking and, 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 and disturbing trend. We've got to stop bullying each other. All right? We've got to stop bullying each other. Nothing comes of it. And I will tell you that we are losing things because of it. We are losing things because of it. Now, Shiva just started talking about dogma and orthodoxy in the chat room, and I'm not necessarily speaking of that. I'm not necessarily saying that this is a dogmatic thing that's happening or something that's happening from an orthodoxy or something that's happening from a heterodoxy because we don't really see that. We don't really see a small group of, uh, I don't know, Hasidic hoodooists, uh, you know, basically telling everyone else, Oh, they're all going to, you know, uh, you, you're not really a hoodooist and, you know, whatever, and you don't understand. Because, again, we don't really have a large, broad, religious, philosophical stance, okay? This is more about people trying to institute their own little idea. And that's, again, a part of the problem, because until they start drawing or forcing, or frightening followers, it's just their little attitude. You see what I'm saying? It's just their little attitude. It's just their thing. Troll made an excellent point, which is uh, mojo bags have to have an odd number of contents. That's, that's a perfectly reasonable one. And then slowly, they draw people to them because of that. Uh, nobody uses sweeteners. Somebody else says nobody uses the souring things like vinegar. Nobody uses that. It's just something they've come up with in their head. And they may have come up with it for a number of different reasons. A, it may not come from the region that they're a part of. B, they may have never been introduced to it yet. C, they may have some hate on against somebody else who has said it. So now, in a contrarian fashion, they have to automatically be against whatever, oh, I hate that guy, and that guy said red candles are for love. And we all know that you use a red candle for love. But now I'm going to say red candles never had anything to do with love, and it's all bullshit, and I'm going to bully anybody that says otherwise. See, this is part it's – it's an excellent strategy. If you cannot intellectually support your position, 
You got no proof. You can't bring anybody else to talk to it. You got nothing in song, story, nothing written down. You got no other living witnesses. It's just something you have. Then, wow, man, the probably the best thing you can do is start to bully people about it. Because how else the fuck are you going to get anybody to be? I mean, I guess you could try and sweet talk them. But it's so much easier to bully than to sweet talk. It's so much easier to browbeat. It's so much easier to beat a drum than play the violin. Okay? It's so much easier to burn than to build. So you just start bullying. And then you find issues that people are afraid of. You find things that are sensitive subjects that people are trying to do right by. And you make adherence to your argument proof that the individual is in accord with that secondary thing. In other words, you could say something like, um, if you believe, okay, as an example, if you believe that there can be an odd number of things in a mojo bag, then you are clearly an appropriator of African-American culture and tradition you are just here to rip off black people. You are evil. You, have, you are in support. Uh, clearly, you're in support of the daily street justice killings that the cops do. You see, you just ramp it up. You ramp it up. The two don't go together. The two don't go together. But to pass the test, I must be in agreement with you. I can tell you that this is a part of my daily life because I'm a Jew. And people pay this test on Jews all the time. It's called the good Jew, bad Jew test. See, to be a good Jew, you must obviously agree with me about whatever. Whatever. My position on Israel, my position on Palestine, my position on Bernie Madoff, you name it, whatever they want to switch it out to be. All right? And if you don't, you're bad. See? And in this, what you do is you make that test a part of the bullying. So in other words, to be cool, I have to agree with you. If I don't agree with you about topic, then I failed test A. And you can just keep playing that line. You can play it about anything. Economics, classism, racism, anything. Anti-Semitism, you can play it about anything. Violence, uh, a misogyny, you can play it about anything. In other words, if you don't agree with me, then you failed test A. Now, you're no, you're no good, Nick. Get out of here, no good, Nick. I don't want you around here. Okay? But it's a false equivalency. False equivalency. It's a trick. It's a trick. It's a trick. False equivalency. The two don't go together. The two have nothing to do with each other necessarily. Now, sometimes the two do go together. So you have to be careful because you do have to listen to the arguments that are being made. Otherwise, we do end up with, you know, Thor mojo bags and mojo bags the size of your head with 115 items in them and all this other stuff. So you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you have to be careful of those grinning tigers with their claws out waiting for you to do something they don't like. Now, were it only that, were it only that all you, you know, if you do something they don't like, they come after you. They spring out of trees, these tigers. Then 
well, I suppose there'd be some sort of pathway of dealing with it. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It's not just that. It's anything they see. The bully is always going to find a new topic. The bully is always going to find a new reason. People will bully you if they think you are an economic threat to them, even if you aren't an economic threat to them. People will bully you about having similar thoughts because they want to be the only one that proposes those thoughts. I'm not talking about proprietary recipes here. I'm not talking about proprietary names. I'm talking about trademark copyright. I'm talking about ideas. This would be like me wandering around bullying everybody that I saw doing anything with playing cards. And saying, fuck you, that's mine, and you need to you know, kiss my ring before you do something with play. I'm the man, I'm the playing card man, I'm the playing card man, I'm the playing card man. And then getting friends of mine to come in and go, he is the playing card man. How could you have done that to Professor Charles Porterfield to have had a thought about playing cards? It just builds. The bully will always find something else to do. We need to address this. And there's only one way we can address this, and it's the same goddamn thing that those of you with children know is going on in schools. The only way you can stop bullying is by saying we won't tolerate it and educating people not to tolerate it and getting rid of it. That's it. It must be addressed face-to-face. It must be addressed head-on. It has to be addressed immediately. You see, you, you, you cannot stand passively by and watch bullying. But you have to make sure you know that bullying is going on. Because nowadays in social media, two people want to go off into a dark corner, have a big fight, and then drag their big fight, or small fight, or non-existent fight maybe, into social media and get you to pick sides and to bully you and say, well, if you don't stand with me, see, that's, that's an, that, those kind of ridiculous ultimatums. And we The community are the only people that can stop it. And here's a problem. It can't be stopped with more bullying. You can't bully a bully. It won't make them stop. All you've done is gone over to their side. You've become a bully yourself. That doesn't mean we need to soft stroke them all, you know, and be all lovey-dovey with them. But we can't stop bullying with violence and aggression. It won't happen. It'll just make you turn around someday and be a bully. We have to address it with education, with clear speech, with a demand for a lack of violation, for a demand for a lack of violence, for a demand for some level of mutual respect, no matter what level it is, even if it's just, you know, normal everyday manners. And I'm not talking about fighting good fights. I'm not talking about the fight against uh, injustice, uh, corrupt power, systematic racism, systematic anti-Semitism, systematic violence. I'm not talking about those. Sometimes in those big fights against openly wicked, uncaring people, you do have to you know, fight fire with fire. I'm saying that you cannot fight a bully that way. You can't fight a bully that way because you just play it into the bully's hands. And the bully will then turn around and become or pretend to become the victimized person. They're the poor victimized soul. They're the poor victimized soul. And now sometimes you'll even see bullies calling for call. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you will actually see a bully use as their bull pup pulpit 
the position of anti-bullying. All they're really saying is, let me be the only bully. So this is a complex quagmire. It's very difficult. It's very, I don't know how we're going to address it, but I felt the need to bring it up. I've seen it for years, and I had to say something because I do know a couple of truths. I know that at the end of the day, bullies won't stand. They, they fall. They always fall because they don't, they're normally not clever enough to have anything else supporting them except the strength of their violation, the strength of their negative words, the strength of their threatened violence the strength of their violence against others. That's, that's really all they've got. They've got, you know, they don't got a good plan, right? It's part of the way you can tell the difference between a strong leader and a bully. A strong leader has plans and ideas and is going someplace and has the general welfare of many, many, many others at heart. The bully is concerned with the bully. The bully is concerned with the temporal, the immediate, all right? Not the, not the long run. They're ephemeral at the end of the day. They vanish under the sunlight. And often a bully will vanish when confronted back. And I don't, again, mean confronted by violence. I mean simply called out. Simply, you're a bully, and I'm not going to deal with this. You're a bully. Stop being a bully. All right? At the end of the day, if we want to change this in our community, we can change this. We start by changing it with ourselves and saying, am I a bully? And we may, to some extent, even I, may in fact be a bully from time to time because, again, it's become the currency of exchange in our, in, our, in, our, in our community. We have so many of them that it seems like sometimes that's how you get shit done. So we first examine ourselves, say, am I a bully? We stop our own bullying ways. Then we support others who are being bullied. And again, you need not support someone just because they are being bullied. You know what I'm saying? There are there are there are limits, all right? You need not say, "Oh, I feel bad for that child molester because he's being bullied." You can say, "No, I want him bullied out of here. He's a, he's a person who rapes children." All right? But when we do see others being bullied and we know that they have, you know, there's no reason. They're just being bullied because they said, "Oh, people use glass jars." Whatever. People do work on Wednesdays. Uh, people use sugar. Uh, people do work under the dark of the moon. Uh, this, that, or the other thing. We, you come to their aid. In other words, you are not afraid to stand up and say to the bully, what you're saying is wrong. Okay? Even though you know that's going to get you placed in the camp with the first person that's being bullied. But now there are two rather than just one. And bullying works best on isolated individuals, again, like rape. It works best on someone who's isolated, who doesn't have anybody standing with them. So support then three. What can you third thing you can do is you can confront the bully and say, You're being a bully. I don't think this is correct. You can try you can make an impassioned plea. You can make an impassioned plea to their rationality, to their morality, to their ethos, to their, you know, humanity. That might not work, but at least you can say you did it. All right. And you can, again, all we're talking about here is speaking truth to power, but we're talking about a much smaller power. We're not talking about the big boys in Washington, the cops with the guns, the army with the bombs. We're talking about the bully on the street corner. And obviously, you must take your own safety into account. Some people, as we saw 
recently in Portland just whip out knives and cut your throat when you confront them. But we as a community have to make a decision that we are going to try to stem the tide on this in ourselves and then and thus to others. Because at the end of the day, all these, as Joe Hill Lewis sang, all these tiger men, all these tiger men are nothing. They are nothing but paper tigers. So, Troll, you get a boiled egg. Congratulations. It's all yours, man. Uh, hope, you, hope you like it. <laughs> but, you know, I hope you all saw the setup I did there between uh, Tiger Man and Paper Tiger. Uh, you know, it's just me trying to send out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air. The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. 
It's the LMC Radio Network in the Vanguard. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Contraman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, Kendall's Corner with Candelo Canvisa, Michael Carell, and Lady A, Mondays 5 to 7, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7, on Sacred Ground with Kai Armand and Paige the Firyu, Wednesdays 3 to 4.30. Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Dania, Wednesdays 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All times Pacific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Thank you, Troll Talhead Chief Engineer here at the LMC Radio Network for that update of our shows each and every week. Up next, we're going to continue our multi-week talk about divining with playing cards. And this week, we're going to be talking about what all of those numbers mean. Is a, is a 10 satisfaction? Is, is, is a 5 trouble? Is, is 1 the loneliest number?
Jesus. Well, let's see here. Handing out the boiled eggs tonight. <clears throat> well, Troll Towelhead gets a, a boiled egg because he first identified that it was three dog night. That is correct. It is indeed three dog night. Unfortunately, no one gets the second egg. Why, you say? We got the title. We got the title. 1969. One is the loneliest number. Three dog night. No, I'm sorry. The name of the song is one. That's all it is. All it is is one. It was originally written by Harry Nielsen. It was made famous by Three Dog Night. Harry Nielsen uh, wrote the song after calling someone and getting a busy, busy signal. And he stayed on the line listening to the beep, 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 beep. And that became the opening. That da, 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 dun, dun, right? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and then Three Dog Night released it in 1969. It was uh, on the B-side of Chest Fever. So there you go. The name of the song is actually just one. And that takes us in tonight to start talking about numbers in playing cards. What do all these numbers mean? We'll talk at a later date about the court cards or face cards, the royals. And, of course, uh, we will uh, talk on another occasion about that old devil joker. But we're going to talk a little bit about the numbers. And tonight, we're probably not going to get through all the numbers, so it'll be back next week. So if you want to hear all the numbers, you're going to have to, you know, come back next week. Tonight, we're going to just see how many we can do, all right? Before we get into the numbers, I want to talk to you a little bit about something. I want to talk to you about placement. It is, first of all, I'm teaching you my method. I admit it. I've already admitted it. It's already been talked about on pre the last two shows. I'm teaching you my method of reading playing cards. If you want to learn the Spanish method or the German method or anybody else's method or the Lenormand method, you have to go elsewhere. I'm sorry. I don't have anything against them, but you know, I'm teaching you my method. And my way of seeing the reading of playing cards, and as those playing cards are read in America and particularly in the southern states, in the United States of America, there is something to be said for the placement of the pips, the patterns of the pips. Indices are, uh, oh, that's the little numbers up in the corner, are a relatively new thing. Older cards simply had... Okay, simply had the pips on the card. You see what I'm saying? There was no little five and a little diamond in the corner. There were just five diamonds on the card. If you had been on a riverboat, you know, in the Mississippi back in the day playing cards with somebody, that's the kind of deck you would have seen. And the indices that came later, they came later. All right. And, And some of it had to do with cheating and a lot of other reasons, ease of play. So the patterns of these pips are very important. And it is my feeling, my belief, that's one of the reasons that, you know, messing about with them or changing them up. 
such as in a transformation deck. If you don't know what a transformation deck is, go out and look. They're fascinating and beautiful and have fantastic artwork on them, very creative artwork on them. But the patterns of these pips tell you something of the story of them. Now, let's just start with one, the loneliest number, the ace. The ace represents many different things. It can be a person alone, a man or woman alone. It can be the start of something, the start of a job, the start of a new home, any kind of a beginning. It can represent purity because it is only one. It can represent unity in that there is no division. There's only one. It generally is seen as a very strong and forceful card, the ace. It is active. It is creative. It is generally thought of as being masculine rather than feminine. There are other numbers that are seen as being feminine numbers. The ace is seen generally as being masculine. And it is thought of being as bold and representing the bold individuals. It can be, you know, a lacking in caring or self-centered or moody, but it is the foundation stone that all other things are built on. And it retains uh, the the remoteness and the rulership of its beginning. It is the ace. It is primal. All right. The ace of hearts, therefore, is you know very very important because the ace heart is all things love. It is the power of love. It is the exact opposite of the ace of spades. And we all know what the ace of spades is. It is the death card. It is the ending. It is violence. It is destruction. The tearing down. So. There you go with ace. Now, the twos. The twos are couples, pairs, or as they used to be called, a brace, like when you would say a brace of pistols, or if you caught two, uh, you know, birds, a brace of whatever, chickens, all right? It also, because it's two coming together, can be a meeting, it can be an exchange, it can be a doorpost. It's seen as being a feminine and receptive number. It's kind. It's diplomatic because you have two coming together. It's helpful because you have two coming together. It can be gentle and peace-loving, but it can also hold within it conflict and violence between those two, such as with the two of spades. It's a number of accumulation, of collection, affection, peacemaking, diplomacy, and attachment. But again, let's stop for a moment and think about the pattern on a card. The pattern on the card are not that these two pips are in opposite corners. They're right in the center of a card. One at the top, one at the bottom. They're meeting. They're coming together. So we see in the ace of diamonds, excuse me, the two of diamonds, them coming together for matters of money, uh, so like a contract in the two of clubs, we see them coming together in work. So a handshake or two working together to build something. The ace of the two of the two of spades, we see them coming together in violence, a, a gunfight, a duel, a battle between two. And of course, the two of hearts, they're coming together in romance, in love. You see, then we have the three. The three represents the beginning of the family. You know, man and a woman had a little baby. They had three, right? It also shows the first sign of luck, of growth, a, a sapling. 
So this is now the one has divided into two. The two now has put forth leaves. The two has now put forth something extra to become the three. Obviously, in the um, uh, southern states of the United States of America, it can also represent a uh, third time being a charm or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or within the Latin quarter, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a number of expression. Uh, it, it expresses something because it has brought something about. The two has now brought about a third. It's generally seen as being mirthful, having good cheer, merriment, pleasure, uh, gladness, ecstasy, inspiration. But, again, it can also be seen as one too many. The stability we had in two is now unstable in three, even in a good card or a good uh, suit. Now let's consider the placement of the pips on the card. In the placement of the pips on the card, except for the diamonds, where you can't tell an up and a down because the diamonds are, you know, they have the same tops as they have bottoms. Let's talk about the three of hearts. You have two pips, the center pip and the pip above it, both facing the same direction. And then the bottom pip is reversed. It's turned on its head. It is opposite of the other two. So this can mean something like the mother and the father and then the child or the father and the son and then the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is non-manifest or multiple manifest. In other words, God is God. The son is the son. The Holy Ghost is a dove. It's a tongue of fire. It's a ray of light. This guy didn't know what he's doing. Okay? But it can also mean discord because here on our three of hearts, we have the happy couple two together, and then there's a third. Now, depending on other cards around it, it could be a child. It could be we have cards that later represent pregnancy and family, so together that third heart would be the child. But if we have around it cards that talk about gossip and infidelity, then our third heart is making our three of hearts two's company, three's a crowd. It's a rival. It's a rival. Three of spades are seen as three tears. They're tears dropping. All right? So that's our three. And it brings up our two important points, again, that I want you to keep considering as you continue your study of playing cards, which are, A, the placement of the pips on that card, the little pattern that they form, and the story that the pattern tells and the cards that will be near it. We're going to come into that much later as we talk about the greater art of reading playing cards. Let's see if we can get a couple of more. Eh? Let's talk about four. Very, very stable number four. The four is the house, the bed, the table, the seasons, the four evangelists, the four horsemen. This is a very heavy physical number. It can be crude, it can be limited, it can be stodgy, you know, it can be too grounded, it can be, you know, unimaginative, but it is very strong and weighty, it is enduring. Unfortunately, it's hard to turn from its, its course. So, it is as stodgy as it is reliable, it is as reliable as it is stodgy, but it must be upkept. 
meaning the house, the bed, the table, all of these things you have to keep. You have to make the bed. You have to keep the house in good repair. You have to clean the table to continue to allow the four to have its strength. It takes some of them, but it is incredibly enduring. The four can be eternal, like the seasons, just going on and on and on. And therefore, you will often find interpretations of it being a house or a bed or a table. It also works very well for reading seasons. So as an example, the four of spades could be the sick bed. It could be the table of an enemy that you've been invited to. Or it could be the mourner's house, the house of mourning. The four of hearts could be, oh, uh, the new house, the house the the, the lovebirds buy, our, our honeymooners, our, our newly wedded people start a house. It could be the bed of their love. It could be the table of romance. You know, you're going to go have a romantic dinner with someone. The diamonds could be a house of money or even a bank to some extent, a place where money is stored or the bed could be the bed of sex and passion and sensualities. So there are our fours. And then finally tonight we'll talk about the five, and then next week we'll talk about five more. The five is now now we're starting, let's bring some hoodoo in. The five is of course the five spot. The good old fashioned five spot. Reaching out into the universe, encompassing all things, marking all points marking the four corners of the earth and the center of the earth, marking where you are and all the things around you. It's also an orchard. It's also as, now think about this a moment. Let's talk again about the placement of those pips. In the five, we have one in each corner and one in the center. So it can be one surrounded by others for good or ill. It can be one with their group of friends. You see, here's our little one fellow. He comes from our ace. Here he is, and here are his four friends. Or it could be he and his four enemies, such as with the uh, five of spades. Five of spades could be uh, one against many or many against one. And it could also show you, because it's the five spot, that they're doing negative magic or someone is doing negative magic. It can also be one evangelizing. It can be Jesus evangelizing to the four evangelists, because the four was already the evangelists. So now the fifth can represent Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount, if you were. Five is a number of contrasts. It's fickle. It's easily changeable. It's both constructive and destructive. It's both optimistic and pessimistic and sad. And it represents both the spiritual and the material. And thus, it is our first card that starts to truly talk about magic and magical works being done. The five of clubs, as an example, might be one doing many work, one doing work for many, or one called on to do work for many, or it can be instead just talking about general work. The five of diamonds could be one giving to many, you know, engaging in a charity, or it could be one being taken from, from many. And again, we're going to look at the cards next to it. So there's the ace through the five. We can't do all ten in the time we've got allotted. Next week, the six through the ten. But right now, we're going to go into the kitchen where we've got something sweet prepared for you. 
Oh, yes, all sorts of things. Honey, molasses, corn syrup, even sugar. Yeah, that's right, sugar. You know, sugar, sugar.
galactose. Uh, table sugar or granulated sugar uh, is most commonly and uh, customarily used uh, as uh, food. Uh, but also, you have to know that there's maltose that comes from malted grain and lactose that comes from milk. So sugars and sweeteners come from a variety of places. I think we all know where honey comes from. If you don't know where honey comes from, you really are going to need to check that out. I'm, I'm a little worried about you. Sugar, as we think of it, uh, has been produced in the Indian subcontinent since ancient times. But in ancient times, honey was more often used for sweetenings of the world. And of course, originally, most people chewed raw sugarcane to extract its sweetness. And sugarcane was a native of tropical South Asia and Southeast Asia. Uh, sugar is found in Europe by about uh, the first century of the current era. And there have been a lot of issues around sugar that include uh, colonialism, oppression of other people, land damage, land overuse, etc. Honey has uh, been thought of by some cultures to be the food of the gods. And of course, then you get into molasses and cane syrup and corn syrup and simple sugars and all of that. But primarily in Hoodoo, all of these sweeteners, sweeteners uh, show up in three general classes of work, which would be to attract customers and money to a business, uh, to draw love to you, and to make others uh, have a goodwill and positive intention and positive thoughts towards yourself. Generally speaking, in any piece of work in which you find a sweetener, a different sweetener can be substituted. So, in other words, if, this, if it says, oh, you have to use cane syrup, you can probably use corn syrup. If it says use honey, you can probably use molasses. You can use sugar for any of them, and back and forth. <clears throat> However, the only limitation about all this would be that most of these are liquids, and of course sugar, unless dissolved in another liquid or heated, which would be difficult to work with, is solid. So you have to consider that. So let's give you a few examples here. For the return of a lover... You would write the, the lover's name on paper nine times and then cross it with your name written nine times. And then you would place that name paper in a white saucer and fill the saucer with sugar. You would buy nine small white candles and burn one upright on the sugar each day for nine days. If your lover hasn't returned after nine days burn everything up in a fire and start again with new materials repeating this process nine more days if your lover still does not come back again burn everything up and make a third attempt if it doesn't work after three tries your lover is not going to come back for business you could to help attract customers as an example you could mix sugar with a money drawing herb like cinnamon 
and this can be used as a sprinkle or dissolved in water to make a floor scrub. In that, you would add your own urine uh, to help personalize the attraction. You can also use sweeteners to dress a love letter. To do this, you would mix sugar, graveyard dirt, and love me or any other commercial type of love drawing powder and sprinkle a tiny little bit into an envelope you use to mail a letter to the one you love. So when the person touches this material, they'll feel affectionate towards you. And in that, you would want to uh, put it in, and then you can turn it around and dump it back out or blow it out, you see? So that's that's the way you can use that. Now, a lot of you are saying, graveyard dirt? Yes, didn't you listen when we talked about graveyard dirt? Go back and find the episode. Now, wait a minute. What if you want to do something involving love but a little bit different? What if you want to have an adulterous affair? What if you want to cheat on your marriage, but you don't want any objection from your spouse? To do this, you make a mojo hand with broken pins and needles to symbolize your broken vowels, one of your spouse's pubic hairs, a pinch of tobacco snuff. You can still buy it in grocery stores. And this is to dominate your mate. And a pinch of sugar to help keep the relationship sweet. You sew this up, wear it next to your skin, and your spouse will not raise a fuss, even if you do happen to get caught running around. Might I advise you, as the author of The Sporting Life, not to get caught. Finally, and of course, there is the famous honey jar, a small glass honey jar in which a person's name paper is placed along with a wish and a person's hair, if it can be had, is used as a base upon which to burn candles uh, of, for a variety of purposes. You can use this to attract a new lover or to reconcile with an old lover uh, or to influence a judge to favor one's court case, or a boss to grant you a raise or stop giving you, you know, uh, a pain in the ass at, 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 at work, okay? Uh, some people will even fill the jar with molasses or corn syrup or cane syrup instead of honey, depending on what you have at hand, or upon the skin color of the person you're trying to influence. Now, the candles that you're going to burn on top of the jar are usually uh, uh, related by color to what your work's intention is. So white for blessing and stopping malicious gossip or finding a new love, pink for reconciliation, red for sexual love, brown for a court case, blue for peace in the home, and green for asking for that raise or going to see uh, the the manager at the bank or the loan officer at the bank about getting a loan. You could also use uh, the brown when dealing uh, specifically, say, with uh, oh, someone's trying to get parole. All right. Now, I will also tell you that <clears throat> some folks will instead make a sugar jar. All right. In other words, the exact same thing I just advised you, except rather than using a liquid honey, molasses, corn syrup, etc., they will use sugar. And this has been explained to me 
as being a desire on speed. There is a thought, there is a thought held by some, but not by all, that honey, as an example, molasses, as an example, if you observe them, remember Materia Magica, and remember, you know, all that goes with that doctrine of signatures, remember it pours slowly, it is languid, you know, as slow as molasses in winter, people will say. All right? It, it, it pours slowly. It moves slowly. So there are some workers who have said that they prefer to use sugar rather than honey or molasses if they can get it because it's faster. It's not as slow as by their thinking. By their thinking, it's not as slow as molasses or sugar. But again, there you go. Talk about regionalism. Talk about differences. I'm not saying either is right or wrong. I'm telling you both exist. Consider it as you will. Let's also talk a moment, if we might, about that issue about skin color. Okay? There are situations where we see this in the past. So let's talk about it with sugar. All right? There's... White sugar, you'd use that on people who are white. You might use brown sugar on people that are African-American. You might mix white sugar with brown sugar to make a lighter colored sugar for someone who is Hispanic. We've seen the same thing uh, with paper, white paper, brown paper, etc. This is something you don't hear much about anymore because sometimes people feel it's too racially charged to discuss. I don't think it's racially charged, personally. I think it's just another method of identifying the individual that you're working for, on, at, with. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Again, it's not racially charged. We're not saying that white sugar is better than brown sugar. We're not saying that, you know, anything like that. We're just saying, that person is white, I'm going to use white sugar, and a white piece of paper. That person is black, and we use brown sugar and a piece of brown paper. All right. Now, of course, there are always ugly things in history that people have, like the paper bag test. All right. But you must remember that most of the workers and most of the elders and most of the ancestors who came up with these rules of how they worked were themselves African American. And they thought that there was a distinction there that's passed on into the work. So consider it yourself. Now, how does it all flow together, Professor? Normally, your shows seem to all flow together, and tonight you're talking about bullies and sugar. So surely bullies and sugar have nothing to do with each other. So you might think, but you would be wrong, because this issue of sugar, honey, molasses, caro syrup, you name it, is one of the big bully pulpits out there. Think I'm lying? Go take a look. Go sniff around and tell you, because I don't have to, you know, you don't have to dig deep for it. This often comes down to an issue of honey. There are people who will tell you that there is absolutely and never was any great honey production in this country. There are people that will tell you that honey was only used by fill in every racial group under the sun. 
and some of it's sheer nonsense. There will people there will be people that will tell you that the Native American first tribe members none of them knew what honey was. None of them. Not a one of them won't knew what honey was, they'll say. Okay? They will literally tell you that there was never a Native American who knew what honey was of any of the first tribes anywhere in the entire continent of America. They will tell you that molasses is wrong. They'll tell you that corn syrup is wrong. Cane syrup is wrong. Sugar is wrong. They'll tell you everything under the sun. And what they often forget is that throughout human history, there have been multiple sweeteners available, including some sweeteners we don't even use anymore. I mean, we don't wait. We still use them for a variety of things, but we don't really use them in our table settings, in our cooking. And, and if, you, if it was to be suggested to you, you might even go, ugh, 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 but it's sweet. And so because it's sweet, people would use it. All right, people have been sweetening foods and things they ate as long as the hills have been around. So when someone decides to try to talk to you about any of these things, and tonight we're talking about sweeteners. So, so weird turn of phrase here. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> take your sugar. Take your sugar with a grain of salt when these people start telling you this. And consider and consider why would someone, their bully pulpit, not simply make a change? Meaning, if it is the belief of someone that African-American ancestors had no access to honey, why not simply say molasses? Did they have no access to molasses? Molasses have no access to sugar? Did they have no access to cane? Etc. But I will tell you that we have had a fixation from bullies in our in our community on the issue of sweeteners. So in case you were saying to yourself, what the hell, how does his show go together? How does his show go together tonight? There's one part of it. Now, that is in no way to say that the history of sugar, tobacco, and cotton are not rife, rife with exploitation, colonialization, slavery, horror, you name it, in this country and the Caribbean and South America, etc. Absolutely, absolutely. No one is telling you to use sweeteners without having some perspective on where they came from, who grew them, who collected them, who manufactured them, and then who sold them. But this comes back to the same thing I've always told you. You know, when we talked about floor washes, I told you the exact same thing. You got to think about who it was that was washing them floors. All right? Same setup. Same setup. All right? But don't allow people to come in and try to divest you of this knowledge because they are not.
trying to divest a particular group. They're trying to divest everyone. They're trying to say, oh, people didn't have glass jars. Oh, people didn't have string. People didn't have a needle or a pin. People didn't have thread. People didn't have sticks. People didn't know how to make mud, you know? And I'm not sure sometimes why they say that, because it is presenting an argument that elders and ancestors were ignorant. Well, you know what I'm saying? I think they had a lot more intelligence than some people seem to give them credit for. And we hear that argument from both sides of a racial line, and it makes no sense to me. Oh, I understand. I understand when a bunch of jumped-up appropriating white people want to say that. I've heard that song my whole goddamn life, right? Or they got rhythm, but they don't got no smarts. Fuck you. Fuck you. I understand. Base, ignorant, awful, terrible, ugly racism. But I don't understand it when African-American people say it. Come on. Really? No, I don't think so. I think these people were incredibly intelligent and well-versed. And they knew shit that we're going to scramble to put back together for the rest of our goddamn lives. If we can, you know, keep it together. The fuck it all. So if you were wondering how sugar went with bullies, now you know. Oh, you said the name of the show. <laughs> you said the name of the show. Well, there you go. That's that. Next week, we're going to be talking about, <clears throat> well, obviously, we're going to talk about numbers 6 through 10 in our uh, playing card set. We'll be talking about yet another wonderful substance in the kitchen. Who knows? Tune in. And I want to say that we wish to thank each and every week Miss Catherine Ironwood for allowing the inclusion of materials from her excellent book, Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magica of African-American Conjure, to be used in our In the Kitchen segment each and every week. Thank you so much. We really, it's, it's a great boon. If you don't have the book, you should get the book. Furthermore, if you do not have the book, this amazing book, Hoodoo Herb and Root Medicine, you should pick that book up as well. Well, I hope this week you'll try to, in your own way, stem the tide of bullies, whoever they may be. They're out there. And only we can stop it. Seriously. Only we can stop it. Up next, <laughs> we're rolling out the wagons, dusting them off, or actually patching them up from this last year, this year's Hoodoo Heritage Festival, and slowly starting the long process of putting together the Hoodoo Heritage Festival for 2018. So, if you would like, let's say you're someone in the community, you've done work, you think, hey, I'd like to present at the 2018 Hoodoo Heritage Festival, write up your proposal. Write up what you would like to teach, and I do mean teach, and have people participate in, at 
the 2018 Hoodoo Heritage Festival and send that material off to moi, myself, Professor Charles Porterfield. And you can send anything you need to send to me at Prof. Porterfield, Prof. Porterfield at gmail.com, and I'll get it, and we'll collect it all up. And so maybe you, too, can be a presenter at the 2018 Hoodoo Heritage Festival. There are only two festivals left, 2018-2019, and there are presenter slots still open. Let me tell you something. We've already got some filled. Oh, yes, we do. So, you think we're not going to sit on our laurels around here, boys and girls? No, 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 no. We're going to keep doing it and doing it to it. For 2018 and 2019, we're going to keep riding high in the saddle. No matter wind, rain, storm, we're going to keep going until the inevitable end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Texas and go to Texarkana and double back to Fort Worth. I'm on down to Dallas to call the kitty. Coming through the territory in Kansas City and Kansas City, St. Louis and St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way to the Street Depot, 
This has been a production of the LMC Radio Network. Bless their hearts.